0: Write this down more than just on a paper, write this down on your heart. I believe that this is, God wants to stir, do something today in our hearts and in our lives. He wants to renew something in us. Be continually filled with the Spirit. Today we're in in Ephesians 5. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Ephesians 5, starting verse 18. If you do not have a Bible, visit myevangel.church forward slash Bible. We can get you a Bible. If you're here in person, that's for you online. You in person, just flag one of our ushers down. Just give them a wave and they would be happy to grab a Bible for you. We got some over by the coffee bar there and we would love to kind of resources you can follow along with us it'll be on the screen as well but if you're taking notes today write this down be continually filled with the spirit be continually filled with the spirit Ephesians 5:18 do not get drunk on wine which leads to debauchery instead Be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. We heard a song from the Spirit today in worship. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, all right, here we go. The Pentecostal preacher that came out of a Pentecostal holiness movement, is going to preach a prohibition on drinking. That's what this is going to be all about. You're getting set, you're getting ready for it. It's not what I'm going to preach on today. Because if we think that this verse is about drinking, we've lost the whole point. Paul is leading us to something here. He's been leading us from chapter 1 all the way to this moment. He's been developing an argument. He's been developing us and leading us to this place. Verse 18, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. What have we been talking about up until this moment? What has been the main thrust of our conversation together over the last few months? Being in Christ. What's the theme of Ephesians? How many times have we read in him or in Christ or in Jesus? And so Paul is developing this idea of being in Christ and what that means. What are the outcomes of being in Christ? We've been made new. We've been given a new worldview, a new way to see the world around us. He's been changing Everything we are changed, we're made new. It's not just our spirit, but we have been fundamentally changed in all areas of our lives, and this includes our renewed worldview the rewiring, the washing, the renewing of our mind. Back in 5 8, he says, For you were once darkness, but now you are in the lord you are light in the lord Ephesians 4:22 to 24 you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. This is the new reality. This moment in Ephesians is not about drinking. It's not about alcohol. We've been led to this moment because Paul wants to lift up the idea of sober-mindedness. This is about control of the mind, being sober-minded, Don't lose control. Rather, gain control of your thoughts and your mind because that is the arena. That is where the battle is happening in each and every one of us. Now, though I said that this verse isn't primarily about alcohol or drunkenness, I would be remiss if we didn't kind of get into a little bit of guidance here. Because pragmatically, this journey is different for all of us, okay? So this is a bit of a caveat to what we're kind of going to speak to. I want to share my story to kind of color in the lines a little bit. I don't drink. I have chosen not to drink. Why? Well, one of the reasons I don't drink is because we have a code of ethics as a credential holder, and I sign that every single year, saying that I will abstain from drinking. So part of it is just that but that's primarily not why if that didn't exist i would still wouldn't drink for me remember last week we talked about what is wisdom you remember that what did we what did we say what was the filter based on your past experiences your present circumstances and your future hopes and dreams what is the wise thing to do Let me tell you about my past experiences. I am an individual of excess. I'm the type of person that jumps in with both feet into things. I get very obsessed, very all in. It's kind of how I'm wired, it's my personality. So, in the days that I drank, I drank all in. There was no moderation, it was always excess. And so as I decide for my own life, in Christ, for me, and this isn't prescriptive for you, this is for me, I choose not to drink. Second reason I don't drink. Because if I took a survey of this room and I asked the question, how many of you either have been affected by or know someone affected by alcoholism in our culture and society, put up your hand, I think every hand would go up in this place. So I choose, as a leader in the church, to be an example so I don't cause someone weaker in that area of their life, like myself, to stumble, where they see me doing it in my freedom. So that's the caveat. I hope that helps give you a filter as you decide for yourself how you walk this out. But we're not talking about drinking here. We're talking about sober-mindedness. We're talking about drunkenness. Losing our inhibitions in our mind, and that causes us to walk in what the word calls debauchery, which is a crazy word, and we'll get into that in a second. But there's a bigger thing at play here, and this is the context we need to understand. Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus because there are two kind of primary cults in that city, Okay, There's the cult worship of Diana, also known as Artemis. And then there is the cult worship of Dionysus, also known as Bacchus. So Diana is sort of the goddess of fertility, nature and animals and fertility. Dionysus is the god of wine. It's not accidental that Paul's using the term wine here in a city where there's cult worship to a god of wine. In fact, the worshipers of Dionysus believed that intoxication to the point of no inhibitions would allow for the possession of Dionysus into your life to take control and to inspire and to lead you That was the thought process. That was the way in which they worshipped. And then it led to temple prostitutes and all sorts of crazy orgies and just wild stuff. It led to debauchery. And so Paul in this climate, this is what he says. Do not get drunk on wine, but instead be filled with the Spirit. Drunkenness leads to debauchery, he says. What is debauchery? Debauchery is extreme indulgence in sensuality. An extreme indulgence in sensuality. Another description is the seduction from virtue. Being seduced from standards and holiness and righteousness succumbing to the simple desires of the flesh and the body, debauchery. In other words, bringing in a state of mind where our inhibitions are diminished and we leave virtue for the base desires of the flesh. Paul says, don't do it. Don't do it because I have something better. Not just just don't do it. I have something better. There's something better for you. There's something life-giving. And Paul up to this moment's been describing our newness in Christ, including the battlefield of our mind, the adoption of a new paradigm, a new worldview. And when we're no longer sober-minded, we remove the defenses. We remove the inhibitions. Paul's making an argument for the control of the battlefield of the mind. Let me share a moment in my life that led me to what I just talked about. Such a weird thing to kind of go back into your life and kind of recognize moments. I was two weeks away from going to Bible college. I would kind of really given my life to Jesus in a very real way at about 18 years old, kind of midway through my senior year at school. And everybody kind of knew it. I really just like changed the way I behaved. The way I live, the way I stopped going to all the parties and all the things, and, and people recognized that there was something different about me. All of my friends knew that I was leaving for Bible college, and so there was this sort of, like, kind of weirdness going on. It was kind of a, it was just getting odd with my friends that usually I partied with, and, but two weeks before I left for Bible college, one of my better friends, he was turning 18, and he said, dude, just come with us. You don't have to drink. You don't have to do anything. Come with us and just. I would love for you to be there, and so I, I went. And so he had his birthday, it was his 18th. And so he we went to the bar, and so we're in the bar, and 99.999% of people were drinking, and I was the 0.01% not. And so I thought to myself, well, yeah, I'll just get a, I'll just get a, I'll get a beer just so I have something in my hand, so it's not so weird. Now remember, I'm a person of excess. It wasn't long before I was hammered. It didn't stop at just one, because it never did. And I'm not going to get into the particulars, but there's this point that arose where I was being led (laughs) into places of debauchery. And my friend who invited me there and knew my life and knew my story and knew where I was going and what I was doing and what God had been doing in my life, He witnessed this moment, and I'll never forget, the Holy Spirit, I believe, extended such a grace to me, I believe the Holy Spirit in that moment, despite what I was doing, filled me in a way that his conviction just fell on me, it was almost like everything stopped and I've never experienced this before, I just became stone cold sober. All of my faculties returned to me. My ability to make good decisions returned to me. Hey bud, I love you, but I have to go right now. That was the last time, that was the last time I was ever intoxicated to the point where I was out of my ability to be in control. Why do I share that? Because it wasn't necessarily about the drink. It was about this. And the Holy Spirit was saying, I'm going to give you the alternative. A sober mind. To stand for righteousness a standard of holiness, to make decisions that go beyond just you but go into the call and the purposes and the plans I have for you, it changed everything. So what happened? God gave me a capacity to make a decision with a sober-minded clarity. And I didn't deserve, I didn't deserve that ability. But in that moment, he gave it. So what's the alternative for the believer? Paul says, instead be filled with the Spirit. Now, we all know, we all know the good, the beautiful, the life-changing moments of the Spirit moving amongst his people. But friends, we also know The excess, the weird, the crazy of God moving amongst his people. I want to be careful with this, but I think it's important. Because I believe God wants to revive his church. But when he does, we need to go in with eyes wide open. We need to go in not just with fire, but with a form, with good teaching, with good understanding. John Stott says this, Under the influence of the Holy Spirit, we do not lose control, we gain it. Under the influence of the Holy Spirit, we do not lose control, we gain it. This is the dichotomy that Paul is painting for us. Drunkenness on wine leads to what? Loss of control. But instead, be filled with the Spirit where we gain control to live as he calls us to live. I love this idea. And remember the cultural backdrop. Paul is writing to the believers who at the very least knew of the cult. of of worship to Diana and Dionysus, or at the worst had been worshipers themselves in those cult temple practices. This is the church of Ephesus. It was wild, it was crazy. And this is where Paul speaks at this moment. He brings the alternative. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. I want to say this with all sincerity and matter-of-factness. The worship of Dionysus valued the losing of control. When we are filled with the Spirit, we don't lose control, we gain it. We don't lose control, we gain it. I'm not hearing much feedback here. How we doing? We okay? Now that doesn't mean, that doesn't mean that we come into the presence of his manifest presence and we have visceral reactions, emotional reactions, because this is all about relationship. It's It's all about intimacy. It's all about moments of being in tears before God, celebrating before God, There is reaction, there is moments, but we never lose control in the spirit. He partners with his people. He doesn't possess them. Can I say that again? He partners with his people. He doesn't possess them. He fills us, but he gives us free will. He gives us clarity of mind. He gives us grace and strength to live different in this world than we once did. It's invitational. It's a relational interaction, not an invasion or a possession. I love what happens when we dig a little deeper into the language used by Paul here. In the Greek language, there are two kinds of tenses. There's like the the aorist, or or aoristic, or there's the present tense. And John Stott, he writes this. When Jesus said during the wedding reception at Cana, fill the jars with water, the imperative is aorist, since the jars are to be filled only once. It's a one-time deal. It's a one-time thing. It's a literary device that gives us like an understanding. This is just to be done once. But when Paul says to us, be filled with the Spirit, he uses a present imperative, implying that we are to go on being filled with the Spirit. For the fullness of the Spirit is not a once-for-all experience which can be never, that we can never lose, but it's a privilege to be renewed continuously by continuous believing and obedient appropriation. Instead, be continually filled with the Spirit. Be continually filled with the Spirit. Paul is making a distinction here. At that moment of being made new in Christ, the Spirit comes and makes Christ alive in us. This is that moment of being sealed in the Spirit. The Spirit comes and he's almost like serves as a receipt of that newness of life that we've walked in. You were made new. Paul speaks to this in Ephesians 1.13. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth. The gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. This is what happened when you got saved. Who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. That's a one-time deal. The seal of the Holy Spirit on the saved, on the believer. Now Paul speaks to a subsequent and continued infilling of the Holy Spirit. This is the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. To walk in his way, to see a bigger picture, to build his kingdom, to be a witness with boldness in the world around us. This is what he's talking about. Empowered by the Spirit. Be continually filled with the Spirit. Then he goes on to describe the outcomes in community. Verse 19, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, giving thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submit to one another out of reverence, For Christ. This becomes the corporate response. This becomes the community response of those who are being continually filled by the Spirit of God, the Spirit of truth, the Spirit of empowerment for the mission and the purposes He set before us. And ask the worship team to come. As we can kind of consider songs of worship, hearts of thanksgiving. And then the act of mutual submission to one another. William Barclay, he writes this. Paul says that the reason for this mutual honor and respect was that they reverenced Christ. They saw each other not in light of their professions or social standing, but in light of Christ. And therefore, they recognized the dignity of of everyone. Of everyone. This is the outcome of community, of those who come together continually be filled by the Spirit, walking in sober-mindedness. So Holy Spirit, we acknowledge your presence here with us but we recognize our need to be filled we recognize our need to be empowered yes empowered to be missional yes empowered to be a witness but also empowered to live by your standard and by your way, to overcome sin that so easily besets us, empowered to step beyond and step into new growth in our own spirituality, in our own relationship with you. Spirit of truth, would you teach us? Would you shape us? Would you refine us? Friends, let's stand together. Let's stand together. I'm going to ask you to do something. We're going to get a little Pentecostal. Hey, we'll get a little Pentecostal here. You might wonder, why do people like lift their hands in church? Maybe you're new to this thing. Some of it's surrender, right? What's the universal sign of surrender? Hey, I give up. Hey, I give up. It's all you. You're bigger than me, so sometimes in worship, we just surrender. There's so much more than that. I want you to think about a little child coming up to his parent. What do they do? What do they do? They run up, what, I want up, I want up. Take me in your arms. I wanna be intimate, I wanna be close. I wanna be safe, I wanna be secure. So here's what I'm going to ask. You can raise them, raise them. You can, you can, you can, you can kind of just go slow, take it slow. But in his presence, as we acknowledge that he's here right now, he wants to speak to us. He wants to shape us. He wants to fill us by his spirit. I'm going to ask if that's that's something you want, I'm just going to ask you to raise your hands. In surrender to him, in a position of seeking intimacy and knowing him. Lord, as we raise our hands today, we long for a fresh infilling of your Holy Spirit. In the quietness of this moment, Holy Spirit, come. Fill your people afresh and anew. Because you have so many plans and purposes represented in this room. You have so many people far from God that you're sending us out to love on and to be a light for We want to do it out of an overflow of your spirit and your presence. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, fill us afresh and anew. Empower us, Lord, to be witnesses of the gospel. Empower us to overcome sin. Empower us to have control in the arena of our mind, the battlefield of our mind start believing what is true about us, about you, and about our purposes and our call. And to start saying no to the voice of the enemy looking to steal and kill and destroy those purposes and those plans. As we sing hymns and songs and spiritual songs together in this moment, Holy Spirit have your way. In Jesus' name.